event of Jesus' resurrection marks the greatest turning point in human history. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. But is that the end of the story? I'm so glad the Apostles' Creed, although succinct, doesn't end there. But most importantly, it also declares that Jesus will come again to our planet to collect the living believers and the dead in Christ from their graves, but also to establish what the Bible describes as the messianic kingdom in the last days. So why do most believers live as if Jesus isn't coming back again and that his life was just a place in world history? If we don't read the end of this book, we're missing the exciting climax of the Bible story. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The Passion Drama of Christ is one of the world's great spectacles, performed only once a decade in the German village of Oberammergau. The tour begins this September with two days in historic Prague, then on to Leipzig, the home of Bach. We'll walk through historic Wittenberg to learn about the Reformation fires set by Martin Luther, then on to Eisenach and the amazing castles of Bavaria, before ending with the historic highlight of Oberammergau. The week-long tour includes private coach travel, local guides, charming hotels with breakfast and dinner each night. For information, visit our events page on our website, exploits.tv. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Believers are sadly divided by many issues today on eschatology, theology, politics, and morality. But we must not ignore the great end-time modern miracle that's happened before our eyes. After nearly 2,000 years, there's again a nation of Israel against all odds. This development on the world scene is tied to the future and especially to the second coming of Jesus. The fact that Israel exists again should propel us to get done quickly whatever God has called us individually to do. Because these are days preceding the sudden return of Jesus, just as he promised to do in John chapter 14. So let's not be idle. Remember Acts 1.11, where two witnesses at the scene of the Lord's ascension into heaven gave a gentle rebuke to the apostles who were just standing there gaping. Why do you men of Galilee keep gazing up into heaven? They said, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven shall come back in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. It's disturbing that we hardly ever hear the second coming mentioned in Christian conferences and magazines. And when was the last time you heard the second coming preach passionately from a pulpit? Evangelist Billy Graham used to preach often on the second coming, and his messages thrilled me with the blessed hope. But it's not a message we've been hearing in recent decades. Yet, the return of the Lord Jesus is constantly referred to in the Bible, and 
we've entered a time period that's exponentially speeding up towards his return. The sleepy church is dangerously unaware of how close we are to the Lord's return. After the rapture, the great snatch, when Jesus comes back with his bride, the church, he will dwell in Israel and rule the world from Jerusalem, Israel's capital. This is what the Bible teaches. And the knowledge of the Lord will spread from Zion throughout all the world. Jeremiah 31:34 declares, And they no longer shall teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Well, do we believe this? Do we believe that Israel has paid double for their sin? The prophet Isaiah says so. Yet there are plenty of professing Christian leaders and professing believers who don't believe that God is going to save Israel and reinstate Israel. Despite the fact that Romans 11 teaches, all Israel shall be saved. It says, as is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For God says, this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Yes, God has a divine appointment and destiny with Israel and an unbroken covenant with Israel. And thank God, he's not a covenant breaker. Isaiah 42 is an amazing verse in light of recent news about presidential pardons. In the United States, the president has the constitutional right to pardon individuals for crimes or to commute their sentences. As of this broadcast, the current president has pardoned 28 individuals, but some previous presidents have pardoned hundreds of individuals. But the gospel is all about God's pardon for everyone on earth who has faith to believe in the Messiah. You see, the Bible says that all, each and every one of us, each has sinned, no exceptions, yet God is willing to abundantly pardon each one of us when we hear the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for us, that he was executed in our place. Then it's our duty as human beings to believe the gospel, to repent of all of our sins, to receive his atonement, which is a free gift, and to be baptized for the remission of our sins. The biblical concept of forgiveness is even greater than a pardon. Biblical forgiveness is the concept of taking away our sin, not just covering our sin, but blotting out our sin and even forgetting that our sin ever existed. Isaiah 53, 6 states that the Lord has taken the iniquity of us all and laid it on him, on Jesus, the Lamb of God. And he actually blotted out our sin. In fact, God testifies in Isaiah 43, 25, I am he that blots out your transgressions. And then amazingly, the Bible also says that God even forgets our sins. Hebrews 8.12 says that God will remember our sins no more. He will literally eliminate the record of our sin. The characteristic of the new covenant that God made is the full pardon of sin. And so the same God who is magnanimous towards us former Gentiles who have been 
brought into his universal church, is also the same magnanimous God toward his ancient people Israel. So Isaiah 42, an amazing verse, instructs us to speak tenderly to the heart of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her warfare, the appointed time of her misery, has been completed and her iniquity has been pardoned. For she has received from the hand of the Lord double, it says, for all of her sin. Double. Double. Let that sink in. And history attests to this. The word double means that the overflowing punishment has surely been accepted by the Almighty. Primarily, the thought is that Jerusalem has suffered more than enough penalty for sins. And God will forgive and receive Jerusalem and his ancient people yet again. This is what the Bible teaches. Already the return of the Jews has brought untold blessings in so many arenas of life, in medicine, agriculture, technology, and one archaeological discovery after another. Now many Bible prophecies are being fulfilled concerning Israel in our day, and the church needs to wake up and acknowledge God's fulfilled prophetic word. Yet, sadly, much of the church is blinded, buried in some sort of spiritual fog concerning the prophetic reemergence of Israel. Now, let's take, for example, the important verse in the Hebrew Scriptures from Hosea, Hosea 3, 4. That verse prophesied, the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince, without a sacrifice, and without priestly garments, and so forth. This verse encompasses a lot of time. The desolations of this verse have been literally true for many centuries. According to the Dakes Annotated Reference Bible, from 616 B.C. until today, the Jewish people have not had a king or a prince, although they've had many famous revered rabbis whom they've honored from time to time, like princes and nobility. They did return from Babylon and renew sacrifices at the time of the rebuilding of the Second Temple. But since 70 AD, when Jerusalem and the Second Temple were destroyed, the Jewish people have not had a sacrificial system until only very recently. Various descendants of the priests, the Kohanim, are rehearsing for the reinstitution of the sacrificial system in anticipation of the building of the third temple. Actual rehearsals of sacrifices should be a great wake-up call concerning the lateness of the hour. All believers should be familiar with this Bible history and what's going on, but tragically, many Christians and many Jews, for that matter, don't know Hosea's prophecies and many other end-time Bible prophecies. Following the division of the nation into Israel and Judah, there were various rulers of the Jewish people. But I repeat, since A.D. 70, the Israelite kingdom has been kingless and scattered, and the Jewish people have wandered in the diaspora, exiled from the Holy Land, and without any of the religious paraphernalia mentioned by the prophet Hosea. Thankfully, they did keep and maintain their Torah scrolls, 
But all the paraphernalia of kingship and temple worship were put, as it were, on hold. However, it goes on, the following verse, Hosea 3, 5, prophesies that afterward shall the children of Israel return. This means Israel is to be restored under the Messiah. And where will they return? To the Holy Land, of course, to Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. And has this happened? Yes, of course. It's happened right before our eyes and continues to happen as immigrants are continually making Aliyah. Afterward, it says, shall the children of Israel return? And the verse goes on to say, and they will seek the Lord, their God. This is already beginning to happen, and I'm an eyewitness. Israel's prime minister, Netanyahu, recently went to the ancient city of Hebron, where the patriarchs of Judaism are buried. He prayed at their tombs for the salvation of Israel. And the prime minister's wife, Sarah Netanyahu, performed the Jewish custom of lighting candles at the tomb of her namesake, the biblical matriarch, Sarah. Now, Hebron spokesman Noam Arnon took part in the ceremony, and he described it as hugely significant that leaders of a secular government would decide to pray together at the tombs of the patriarchs. Buried there are Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah. Their prayers are a form of seeking the Lord, whether the world wants to acknowledge it or not. I noticed that many of the social media comments were harsh and critical of their prayers, high-minded and self-righteous, saying that they should put on sackcloth and do this and do that, very condescending comments. But God sees the intents of hearts, and he sees various levels of seeking him. One man's repentance or one woman's repentance is according to the revelation that each person has received. So we mustn't try to impose our own understandings on the situation. Things don't always unfold prophetically in a way that Christians have come to expect, according to our own traditions. Increasingly, the people of Israel are understanding that their right to the Holy Land comes directly from God's promises to their patriarchs and matriarchs who were buried in Hebron in a cave on land that was paid for by Abraham. The fact that secular politicians feel led to pray together in such historic places is all the more remarkable because their political party is not defined as a religious party. You may say, oh, it's just political optics, but I maintain it's still a form of seeking God, just as Hosea prophesied. And then Hosea went on in verse 3, 5, progressively to say, and they will seek David their king. Now, David their king is a Bible idiom for seeking the Messiah. And it says progressively, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. This part of the verse remains to be completely fulfilled. The returning part is now in the process of fulfillment. And the phrase fearing God in the latter days remains to be fully fulfilled at the time of the second coming of Messiah, when he will be welcomed by the repentant nation, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you and I are living 
in the latter days, watching this verse unfold in real time. So may we have grace to watch and pray and not interfere with harsh, judgmental attitudes, but trust that God knows exactly what he's doing, when and how to do it. With absolute scriptural authority, I can tell you that the regathering of the Jewish people and the rebirth of the nation of Israel is no mistake. It's no political aberration, no anomaly, but it's the fulfillment of unraveling Bible prophecies day by day. All of this is prophesied as a prelude to the second coming of the world's only Messiah and Savior, Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Thankfully, there's been a growing warming towards the Jewish people and a dramatic change of heart among many evangelical Christians who know their Bibles. This movement of support for the Jewish people and for Israel, while at the same time loving their half-brothers, the Arabs, and praying for their salvation and the Isaiah 19 Messianic Highway between Egypt, Israel, and Assyria, all of this is most certainly a divine work of the Holy Spirit of the two peoples of the book coming together. Christians and Jews are finally watching each other's backs in a hostile world of growing religious persecution. Now every watchman on the wall should be declaring Isaiah 62:11, that famous chapter about God's watchman on the walls of this holy city, saying the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, See, look, behold, your Savior is coming. Amen, Jerusalem. Well, it's with intense sadness that many Christian Zionists notice that mainline denominational churches, for the most part, are blind to the fact of Israel's return. Tragically, there are even many within the churches who actively oppose the return of the Jewish people and who engage in virulent anti-Semitism. The church is missing a great opportunity to communicate to the world about the validity of this word of God, which predicted all of this great revival that's happening in our day in Israel before our eyes. Rather than the church, Israel is having to be the mouthpiece once again for God and the Bible. And while respect for the Bible has fallen in many countries, speaking on behalf of Israel at the United Nations Security Council, Israel's ambassador, Danny Danon, held up his Bible and boldly stated to the assembly God's word in Genesis chapter 17, where God declares his covenant to be a brit olam, an everlasting covenant between himself and the children of the covenant, the children of Israel. Ambassador Danon said, this Bible is the deed to our land. And I should ask, does the church believe this? Well, in Romans chapters 9 to 11, the Apostle Paul wrote about God's everlasting covenants with his divinely elected people, the Jewish people. And he made the point of saying in Romans eleven sixteen that the Jewish root is holy. The root of the olive tree, a type of Israel, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the other patriarchs. Some branches of the olive tree were broken off so that we wild olive branches might be grafted into God's olive tree. But the Apostle Paul warned that we must not boast against the original branches. Now in Romans 9 verses 4 to 5, 
the Apostle Paul gave eight scriptural evidences of God's unique relationship with the Jewish people. This is different from his relationship with the church. This is eight unique relationships with the Jewish people and extremely important reminders. So important that I must mention these eight scriptural evidences because I've never heard any preacher preach on these verses. Let's listen carefully to them. Concerning the people of Israel, Paul wrote, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs, he also said, are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all forever praised. Amen. Now here, Paul refers to God's ancient people. 11 times as Jews and 12 times as Israel, proving both terms refer to the same people. First of all, number one in this passage, Paul reminds us that the Jewish people were adopted by God as his special elect. And there are many biblical cross-references to this fact in the Torah and in the prophets. Secondly, Paul said they were uniquely given the divine glory. What's that? That's the Lord's divine presence. Only the Jewish people experienced the glorious Shekinah presence of God, visible in the pillar of fire and the cloud and in temple worship. Thirdly, all the covenants are theirs, including the new covenant. And these covenants are based on God's faithfulness, not upon man's faithfulness. God's covenants were made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and other Jewish patriarchs. Then number four, the law was given uniquely to the Jewish people. There's no dispute on that. And number five, all the rituals of the law were put into their guardianship. Number six, the magnificent promises of God were first bequeathed to the Jewish people. Number seven, spoke of the Jewish people's divine aristocracy because theirs are the patriarchs. And finally, number eight, from them issued the bloodline of the Messiah, the Savior himself. So this was an eightfold advantage of the Jewish people, not to be forgotten nor despised by the church. And God continues to protect this nation in the midst of increasing end-time birth pangs that are becoming more intense, fast, and closer together. Plagues, pestilences, famines, floods, fires, volcanoes, earthquakes, confusion, disasters, fear, things falling apart. But Israel is a nation now in maturity, over 70 years old, and Jerusalem is recognized as their capital city. And meanwhile, both Jews and Christians are under attack because the powers of darkness know their time is short before the second coming. Millions of Christians across the globe live in perpetual dread that they'll be punished, harmed, or even killed for merely practicing our faith. Worldwide persecution continues to be at a fever pitch with varying degrees of affliction for those who openly embrace the Bible. This tragic reality was reported in Open Door's latest World Watch List, an annual report that offers an unparalleled glimpse into 50 places around the world where it's the most costly to be a follower of Jesus. 
According to that latest Open Doors report, more than 260 million Christians live in regions where there's a high level of persecution. One in eight Christians worldwide is suffering persecution at this moment. Think about that. But should we be surprised? The reality is every true believer is hated by the world. Jesus said so in John 15, 18. He said, the world hates you, but understand that it hated me first. If you were of the world, it would love you as its own, but instead the world hates you because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Jesus said, remember the word that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. However, Jesus has promised to keep us from the power of the evil one. That doesn't mean that we'll be protected from persecutions and trials, but the Lord assured us that we shall be kept saved unto eternal life and nobody can pluck us out of his hand. So we must continue to pray fervently that we can take hold of whatever ministry or purpose the Lord has given us to fulfill while there's time in complete humility and obedience to the Lord, watching, praying, staying alert, staying awake, and looking up and rejoicing. Jesus will return for a number of reasons. And first of all, he'll return because of his comforting promise made to his disciples in John chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you? But I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, is Jesus going to keep his promise? Yes. Remember, the two witnesses in white who watched his ascension told the disciples that this same Jesus will return in like manner in the clouds. He also will return in order to judge this world and the ungodly and all the corrupt religious leaders and politicians. He will return to judge Satan as well and the unholy angels. He will return as the roaring lion of Judah to execute all who are evil. And he will return to establish his kingdom of righteousness, to occupy the throne of his father David, as promised by the angel Gabriel to his mother Mary. And he will rule this world for a thousand years, as the book of Revelation states emphatically. Tragically, just as Jesus is about to fulfill all of these things, many professing Christians lamely no longer believe that the Lord will actually judge the wicked of this world. Yet the Bible guarantees that he will punish notorious wrongs and evil. He will judge the world. So let us humble ourselves in his presence. It's my prayer today that you may know God's hand of blessing, his power, leading and direction, and his protection and supernatural strength. One of my favorite verses is Deuteronomy 33, 25. As your days, so shall your strength be. One translation of this verse says, As the days of your youth, so also shall be your old age. Or put simply, your strength will continue as long as you live. Hallelujah. Isn't that a wonderful Bible promise? 
full of faith and power. If you want to hear more about what God is doing in Israel, I invite you to check out our video library of free teachings at our website, exploits.tv, where you can also read details about our upcoming anointed prayer conferences in Jerusalem and elsewhere. And we always enjoy sharing with you through the social media. We also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. It has information about our videos, our ebooks, and a Bible reading plan. Jerusalem is a city mentioned in the scriptures more than 800 times, and God himself has chosen to establish Jerusalem as his dwelling place on earth forever. This is a place where God's presence actually dwells on the earth. I've been privileged to travel the world, but in Jerusalem there is a very special presence of the Almighty that is palpable when you visit. So seriously pray about coming with us to this city. This is where Jesus taught on the temple stairs. He sat on the Mount of Olives and wept over the city. Well, in the meantime, I will continue to contend for the faith and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so until next time, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. It only happens once in a decade. So please don't miss one of the world's great theatrical events, the historic passion play in Oberammergau, Germany. My husband Peter and I will be leading this week-long tour in September and exploring some of Europe's great cities that inspired the Protestant Reformation and will end in the Bavarian Alpine village of Oberammergau to witness the five-hour reenactment of the trial, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. The Passion Play was first performed in 1634 when the villagers staged the event in thanks to God for sparing them from an outbreak of bubonic plague. This year will be only the 42nd time the tradition is carried out. We'll begin the tour on September 16 in the city of Prague. This will include an overnight stay to visit some of the city's historic Jewish sites and then the chapel where Reformation leader Jan Hus preached. Then our private coach takes us first to Leipzig, the city of Johann Sebastian Bach, and then to Wittenberg where Martin Luther lit the fires of the Reformation. At every stop you'll meet expert local guides to take you through the monasteries, churches, castles, and homes of some of the great personalities who shaped European culture and faith. We'll also engage in prayers about anti-Semitism and believe that putting our feet in these places will make a difference. On day seven of the tour, we arrive in Oberammergau to experience the Passion Play and overnight in one of the village's charming hotels. There's much more to this special week from the 16th to the 23rd of September. To find out all details, visit our events page of our website at exploits.tv. We do have very limited space left, so please book early, and we'll look forward to spending a great week together. Hope to see you in Oberammergau.